<laughs> Welcome to Mark and Tim's Records <laughs> show. Oh, I feel like I'm nine again. <laughs> I, maybe that's part of the thing. We don't have a good opening. You got an idea? Yeah. Uh, uh, Go. I don't. Well, okay. Hey, I'm Tim Peterson. And I'm Mark Harley Wilson. And we love music and... Yeah, there we go. It just <laughs> dies right off the top. We need to descri- we need to describe the process. I gotta stop laughing. All right. The whole idea of this program is that we are listening exclusively to music on seventy eight RPM. We're gonna each be bringing about ten records or so to wherever we're recording. I look at Tim's ten and I pick out three, and he looks at my ten and picks out three, and we'll play them. We'll listen to them. We'll talk about them and see where else the conversation goes. That is an apt description for what we're doing. All right, let's put on a record. I like cake and no mistake, but baby, if you insist, I'll cut out cake just for your sake. Baby, come on and knock me a kiss. I like pie. I hope to die. Just get a load of this. When you get high, doggone the pie. Baby, come on and knock me a kiss. When you press your lips to mine. Was then I understood They taste like candy, brandy and wine Peaches, bananas and everything good I love jam and no flim flam Scratch that off my list This ain't no jam, the jam can scram Baby, come on, knock me a kiss Tim, what did we listen to that I picked out of your collection? <laughs> you picked it out, brother. Yeah, fine. Uh, Knock Me a Kiss, Louis Jordan. And DECA, what is the uh, record number on that? Uh, that is DECA 8593. And it's a sepia series. Back in the day, you know, you had to, you had to differentiate the country records from the R&B records. 
they were really saying, these are our race records. Oh, totally. Yeah, this, this is for the black audience. Yeah. yeah. I have such a special place in my heart for Louis Jordan. I don't know why I do. I can tell you it all began 100 years ago. When I was in San Francisco and I stopped at Rasputin's Music sure. and Records and whatever else they have there, I'm looking through the CDs and I find this four CD set of Louis Jordan and I bought it and I don't know why I bought it. I wish I could remember. Maybe it'll come to me. I love every single song I hear of Louis Jordan. He's awesome. Yeah, they're fantastic songs. Fantastic. And a fantastic band. That's the kind of underrated part of the whole thing. And it was a small band, I do believe. This is when we were supposed to do that research. But if I recall, it was a, he played with four guys, I maybe? Think five. I think it was usually like Yeah. Okay, thank you. Right. And uh, it sounds great. And they have such a wonderful... Just a, just a, a great rapport. I'm so glad that you pulled this record out. I mean, there's a million Louis Jordan records floating around, but I was just talking about him the other day. And I yeah. think one of the magical things that I've discovered lately after hearing these songs a, a ton of times is his trumpet player. The The beautiful thing about the trumpet, and I kind of, this really struck me in watching some old soundies, the, the films of them playing. I'm sure they were lip synced to the actual Decca releases, but the trumpet player plays constantly through the through the tunes he's not waiting for his solo he's not waiting for like a call and response with the vocal he he just dances around the vocal beautifully the whole time i hope to die just get a load of this when you get high doggone the pie baby come on and knock me a kiss when you press your lips to mine was then I'll understood They taste like candy, brandy and wine Peaches, And it's this kind of a subtle aspect because most of the songs are silly. Most of the songs are corny. In fact, when you started playing this tune, I thought it was King Cole because King, Nat King Cole was also on Decca. Mm-hmm. And it's very mellow, and there's the piano. And the trumpet threw me for a second. I was like, wait, Nat King Cole didn't have a trumpet. And I was like, oh, man, this is a very mellow, very beautiful Louis Jordan performance, actually, and not not one of the sillier. When I pulled records from home, and I'll be curious to see what you grabbed out of the 10 that I brought, I thought, we're recording at night. I think I want something a little more laid back, a little more mellow. Louis Jordan's either, like, swinging and rocking and, like, really, like, moving along, or it's, like, pulling all of that back that whole sound and just making it really simple to a point where I can still like feel that groove, but it's not, you're not moving at a hundred miles an hour. And I'm trying to, to key into that visualization of what the music does. I'm just sitting in the club watching this band play and the smoke from the cigars and cigarettes just sort of wafting everywhere and the clinking of the glasses. And you know, I'm, I'm more literal perhaps in that vision, but it, it's like a, a musical movie. That was a sexy shimmy, man. That's what that song was. Yeah. What is a sexy shimmy, Sam? Tell us more. (laughs) That was that Louis George song. Exactly. Absolutely. The only time, actually, I was going to say that I was disappointed with a Louis Jordan record, and I... What? I don't know if I bought it from... No. I might have sold it to you, actually. And it it was a later LP 
of his stuff. And I oh, think yeah, well, the Mercury Records. Maybe. It's yeah. like his photos on the cover, and he's in sort of a zoot suit, but he looks like he's a little too old to wear it. Yeah. And there's maybe some color stripes on the cover, yeah. white background. I think that those records, he kind of came out of retirement, and he's yeah. kind of, you know, trying to do the old hits again and just make a buck and is losing a bit of that special something. Yeah. Yeah. That, I... I was sad because I, <laughs> I bought it. I brought it home and I put it on and, and I realized, okay, well, there's some of the same hits on here. That's fine. You never know with records like that, though. That's the thing. You know, for years I saw Jack Teagarden's name and all these early records, Jack Teagarden, and I was like, eh, you know, white band, Benny Goodman, whatever. It's going to be boring. He's a trombone player. Meh. And I put on this Jack Teagarden record from the late 50s or even the early 60s because he was singing a bunch – I think it was a 50s record. He was singing a bunch of standards that I liked, and that's the reason I put it on. I saw that he was credited with the vocals, and I was like, oh, I thought he was a trombone player. And he was a great vocalist. He was a great singer. He aged well. Oh, man. And those those recordings are great. And I'm like, man, I've been giving this guy the short end of the stick forever. This is wonderful stuff. Yeah, I don't have that kind of luck. I picked up a record at a, an estate sale of – Paul Whiteman. Do you know yeah. Paul Whiteman? Sure. It was on an LP, and I thought, you know, oh, yeah, I kind of like this guy. His group's always great, you know. Uh, I'll buy it. And I brought it home, and it was the most, like, elevator, schmaltzy, like, horrible-sounding, <laughs> like, you know, thing I would have left at a thrift store. But I guess that's how we learn. You win some, you lose some. Absolutely. Let's put on another record. She can be, she's got a whole lot of loving waiting for me. She's bold-legged and slew-footed too. Nothing in the world shilly-dilly can do. Shilly-dilly, yeah, shilly-dilly. Shilly-dilly, shilly-dilly, that's my baby's name. Ah, One eye is blue, the other is red. She got a silk bandana tied around her head. She's false out of that she can be. She's looking at you. But she's shocking me. Shilly dilly. Yeah. Shilly dilly. Shilly dilly, shilly dilly. That's my baby's name. Ah, ah, ah. Stop to pronounce Shilly dilly dead. But she jumped up and she shook her head. She took one big leap and was out of the door. She said, I can't die now. I got to love my man some more. Shilly dilly. Shilly dilly. That song was awesome. So that's Checker Records, 
with Chili Dilly by the Flamingos, record number 846. Why did you pick out this record, Tim? 1950s R&B, man. I, 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 I love it. I love it. And I mean, I picked this out before I even knew. I don't know which three records that you pulled out of my stash, so I didn't realize you'd pulled the Louis Jordan. This is where Louis Jordan went, you know, the same kind of energy on those livelier tracks of his. The Flamingos are most well known for I Only Have Eyes for You. Wada wada. Yeah, that's a, wah, 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 that's wah, a beautiful wah. song. The other thing, it just reminds me of a ton of tracks that I like. The Cadets Stranded in the Jungle. It's got that kind of vibe. Meanwhile, back in the States, it's got the one of my all-time favorite songs, uh, Go Go Gorilla by The Ideals. It's got the same kind of rhythm, the same kind of get up and go. You know, it's again, I feel like I'm coming out of my infancy and you are, you've already gone to college, you've graduated. No, stop it. Right? No, it's true. And it's not about, you know, well, you you earned the degree, you've gotten the, the, the knowledge because I just hear a song and it's like, oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That saxophone that played, that was great. It just kind of grabs you by the groin and like makes you dance, you know, and shakes you around the room. I, when, I was, when I was young, and I, I, I don't know if we've had this conversation in general before, but I loved what I called 50s music. It's just that early, that doo-wop sound that um, to me is like... It's all, this is where it all began. This is where, like, everything's coming out of. You're talking about that next phase into the 1950s? That's, yeah, that's what I'm driving towards. Well, it's, it's funny to hear you say doo-wop, too, because I hate doo-wop. It, I can't, I can't that's not, stand it. That's, that, that's not doo-wop. That was no, doo-wop. That's, that's rock and roll. That's the yeah, R&B. Right, nothing doo-wop. Doo-wop is just sort of, in, I, I, we'd have to find an actual definition of doo-wop, but doo-wop to me are those, that street corner harmonies. And then also mm. when you get into the, the next phase of all the kind of white New Jersey quartets, you know, uh, the, like a four, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. I mean, all the stuff that predated those guys, but stuff along those lines that's just kind of syrupy harmonies. Hmm. And this is a lot more gut bucket. I mean, they've got great bands. They've got, you know. Who's they? You mean the. Oh, the, these like these, you know, Chicago, St. Louis. Yeah. You know, New Orleans. So kind we're, of. we're in rock and roll at this point is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, totally. This is rock and roll. Yeah. Fascinating. These are the tunes that, you know, Elvis wanted to cover. These are yeah. the songs that inspired the Jerry Lee Lewis's and so on. Were they, they, were they calling it rock at that point? I don't know if they were. I don't think so. No. no. Mm-mm. This was still rhythm and blues. I, I don't. I think yeah. at, at this stage in the game, they were still referring to this as rhythm and blues. At the same time, you know, ten years earlier, those Louis Jordan tracks were rhythm and blues as well. So I'm excited to see what your uh, what your next random pick. I'm gonna just actually mention my approach downstairs. I walk. May I describe your basement a little bit? Oh yeah. As long as my wife's not in the room, there, that's fine. And I'll I'll be gentle because uh, we all have those places where we store stuff. It's a nice way to put it, right? And you have stuff, and I have lots of stuff. And I went down to your basement to where you had your bookshelf of 78s that were just crammed full of 78s. That was the most exciting. I've been down there before, and I can't tell you the heart, like, beats fast. <laughs> like, my, the hairs on my skin stand up. Um, it's a disease. It's something that I'm afflicted with. Anytime I walk into a room filled with records, really, but also 78s especially, 
and I have to turn that part of my brain off. Otherwise, I will stand there and I'll go through records for hours. I went to a gentleman's house. He was one of the co-owners of Chicago Rare Books, if you knew, knew of or know sure, that yeah. place. Great, which is, great bookshop, recently closed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I went in, and they were selling off all their books. They were closing, unfortunately, and I asked about, uh, do you, you know, they have these beautiful books on music. I bought a bunch, and they said, do you, ha you guys don't have any old records by chance? Because they always kept some crummy old records in the basement. See where I'm going, right? And they said, oh, actually, the guy you want to talk to is one part owner. Here's his number. Long story short, I give him a call, and he says, yeah, come over to the house. I actually did just sell off my entire blues collection for an undisclosed price, but he said, I still have a lot left over. Come and take a look. I was in his basement. I'm definitely sure for more than three hours, it could have been four. Whoa. And I was always checking in every like so often, or his wife would come down with a bottle of water for me. And <laughs> make sure you still love. Exactly. And I, um, you know, I just, I, I was probably being very selfish. They seemed okay with it. I just rolled with it. And I walked out of there, you know, with some cool records but yeah, I'm sure I overstayed my welcome. I'm sure I was there way longer. <laughs> but you wanted to be thorough. Ah, I got to look at every single one of them. And it's not like I go through and I play every song, you know, or stream it or go on YouTube. But I do that a little bit, certainly if I'm in a record shop and I'm looking and looking and looking and it just doesn't end. There's no off switch in my brain for that until probably <laughs> I'm kicked out or the store closes or I got to be somewhere. So I couldn't believe how quickly you pulled out records from my stash in the basement. I That actually means a lot that you said that because I just said, you know what? Doesn't matter what I'm going to pull. I'm going to pull something. Anything's going to be fine. We're going to like it. We're going to hate it. We're going to listen to it. So here we go. de sufrir el dolor de una pasión hoy que yo te gusto así hoy que tú también a mí oh divinidad en flor yo te lo voy a advertir el que te pueda querer no lo puedo asegurar ni te lo puedo negar eso lo vamos a ver Eso lo vamos a ver cuando esté juntito a ti. Si tus besos son de amor, los voy a corresponder para no verte sufrir. Eso lo vamos a ver si mi pobre corazón puede volver a ser. El amor que se le fue, eso lo vamos a ver. El amor es un capricho, un momento de locura. Yo quisiera enamorarme de ti. Eso lo vamos a ver. Y mi pobre corazón puede volver a sentir. El amor que se le fue, eso lo vamos a ver. 
amor es un capricho, un momento de locura. Yo quisiera enamorarme de ti. Eso lo vamos a hacer. Si mi pobre corazón puede volver a sentir el amor que se le fue, eso lo vamos a hacer. You asked me earlier why I picked that song out, and I and I sort of just said, oh, yeah, I just grab random records, whatever. I, I don't know anything about what we just listened to. I mean, I, other than the word bolero, that was the only word I understood on the label. It is Columbia. It is record number 1283C. I wonder if it comes from a set, maybe? It came out of the shelf as I was pulling on sleeves, and I just said, all right, fine. I'm just going to go with that. It's random. I don't care at this point. We'll bring it upstairs. Let's get started. One of the things I love about collecting 78s is that each little record to me is like a time capsule. Its own little world. Absolutely. This was really fun for me, actually, because yeah. the artist is Manuel Pomian. Eso los vamos a ver. Just to show my own uh, bias, there, there are so few Mexican records that I like. I listen to... I keep, you know, dropping on Mexican records after Mexican records. And, yeah. and a lot of it seems very sentimental, very sappy, mm -hmm. nothing that really grabs me. And I'm listening to this record. And I'm thinking, now, where is this from? It, that, like, it's got a kind of flamenco vibe to his singing. This mm -hmm. must be Spanish. But it's got that rolling piano that's kind of a rumba that's got a Cuban kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. And... uh you know, and under the uh, catalog number, under the 1283, it says Mex 452. And I'm like, maybe it's a Mexican record after all. Yeah. <laughs> where Does it say where it was recorded? Sometimes it'll say in the fine print at the very bottom. Mm, no. Yeah. Oh, Discos Colombia de Mexico. Yeah. So this is there from most. So it's from Mexico, right? It doesn't, yep. doesn't even say like. Heco in Mexico. Recorded yeah. in New York City or Chicago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, this is actually a Mexican 78. It's stamped made in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. I'm realizing as we're doing this too, by the way, there is something a little more freeing. Now, maybe, I, again, I start to sound like I'm a village idiot, but I feel like there's something a little freeing that I'm not tied to kinds of data that we can obviously pull up. I mean, this is what we would have been doing 50 years ago, 30 years ago, just sitting around listening to records and maybe running the library, maybe pulling our, I don't know, what was it, the uh, Brian Rust guide to look up the date. So you were saying that this record was very special because it's from Mexico, just period, or even something no, more than that? The, the reverse, actually, that it's it proof positive that there's no bad music. I was saying that, oh, Mexican records don't inspire me. Oh, mm. it's sappy. Oh, da, da, da. That record was fantastic. That was lovely. The yeah. singer was fantastic. Yeah. The arrangements were fantastic. It was it was a beautiful little nugget. I would, yeah. And in fact, speaking of which, like I would, I would put this record on to like serenade my wife with, meaning I would, you know, play the record and sit down next to her on the couch, uh, you know, while we're drinking our drinks or coffee or whatever. Um, would she turn to me and look me in the eye? Well, that's what's happening in my mind anyway as I'm listening to it, <laughs> other than her probably rolling her eyes at me. But it is it is that experience of I just don't get from other ways of listening. I, I, I'm sure I'll contradict myself at some point in the near future, but I think because it is this one object that, how did it 
get here, right? How did it get into your collection? Did it come through your shop? Is it something you bought or picked up in a set? I haven't actually purchased a lot of 78s in the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, hand, a handful come home with me each, you know, each year probably, but not in, in great quantities. And the majority of my collection came about probably 15 or even 20 years ago uh, when I was really taken with 78s. And I would bring home things based on how unique they were mm-hmm. and not the same old sound. So even yeah. before when we were talking about Louis Jordan, he made so many records. I didn't want to bring home every Louis Jordan record. I'm like, oh, that's a great song, but I've already got four Louis Jordan records. Why do I need 20 Louis oh, Jordan records? I want records? all the Louis Jordan records. <laughs> I'm trying to find is like, and that's the hard thing. In fact, just as a quick sidebar, like I'll go to someplace, I'll see a Louis Jordan record and I'm such an idiot because I don't write down like what records I have. <laughs> So far, I haven't had any duplicate Louis Jordans. I don't think, maybe one or two. Um, but I look at a record, and it's like, like I know I have "Beware." You know the song "Beware." It's accordingly like the first rap song. Oh, beware, brother, beware! And if she's easy to kiss and never resist, be careful. Beware, brother, be beware. careful. And if you go for a walk and she just listens while you talk, she's trying to hook. And if nobody's looking and she asks you to taste her cooking... Yeah, that yes, one, right? Yeah. He sort of sing-speaks it kind of the whole thing, right? right? And they say, oh, that's, that's when rap was first done, accordingly. So finding these unique yeah. things. For a while, I was excited about weird labels, and then the music sometimes was very drab, but even though the label was beautiful. It's a, you know, stamp you've never seen before or something. But anything that just caught my ear in the least, I would bring home that was unique that was different yeah my mother gave me years ago knew i liked 78s and she gave me a frankie carl album so typical album three records in it which one do you remember i I don't remember which one i I mean i i couldn't stand that music oh it's horrible yeah (laughs) yeah my mother had a kind of a sentimental attachment to frankie carl because he was very popular in the 40s and she had a crazy gosh what was his name uncle uncle frank maybe we had a crazy uncle her uncle in the family that was a wild jazz man he would go off and you know tour with bands and wow. play with stuff and he played with frankie carl i don't remember even which instrument he played at the stage of the game but the uh so anyway my mother gives me this frankie carl set and i had to sort of politely say like eh, i already knew right. frankie carl was not not so hot i was like oh thanks mom yeah and as we've the wise ones have discovered you need to open up and look in every single album because people would just store all kinds of crap in there. I mean, other records, that is to say. No, that's it. It's not like storing your roach clips in the 60s. But uh, in the 40s, you you could stash any kind of record or records would break and you'd put them back in the wrong sleeve. So I opened up this Frankie Carl record and there was an Iranian record in there. And I lost my stuff. I was like, mom... You thought you were giving me this great Frankie Carl record, but instead you gave me this fantastic Iranian <laughs> record. This is wow. amazing. I would, yeah. So I've, I was very glad she gave me that set. I've come across a few records of Middle Eastern origin. And like even like this song, they are very much, again, it's like I'm thrust into a period and a place. Maybe that's also part of the reason I've been thinking a lot about this, maybe why I, I was so eager to do this podcast with you is... There are all these why questions we've been asking. Well, why do you like this? And why do you like that? And why did you choose this? But I don't even understand why I listened to music in the first place, right? So bottom line is why this music has this impact on me, but I don't seem to be the only one. At least there are two of us in a room. So I, don't, <laughs> I think there's a lot of us. I don't, yeah, and that's the thing. It's, you know, I, I think that's the other piece as well is that you know I, one of the first shows 
that I began listening to was the Antique Phonograph Show. I think that was just what it, what it was. A guy named Mac out of WFMU in New York. He goes like to the original stuff. He plays off of you know Victrolas and cylinder players and Edison players, brings them into the studio. It's all acoustic. Wow. And so he'll just mic that player. He'll mic all the players. And that, I, when I, I, somehow I found that show, maybe I read about it in something and started listening to it, and I somehow did it right, which was to listen to that music at like 12 at night, one in the morning. Oh, it gives you great focus. Oh, I, well, that and I'm just laying in bed and being sent back in time 100 years, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very soothing. It's like this wonderful blanket that's sort of wrapped itself you know, around me. There was a great show. I'm pretty sure it was on WFMT. When I first moved to Chicago in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, there were two classical stations, but I think it was on WFMT that on Saturday nights or Sunday nights, a fella gave this radio program where he would play old 78s and then pepper in between with news stories, news articles, uh, personal letters from, like, if, if, if the... If that particular evening was focusing on the 40s, like letters from the war, you know, letters home from the the, the front, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he crafted such a magical, yeah, well, why scenario. Are we, doing that? we should do that show. <laughs> That's nice. And this was, you know, pre-internet days, so yeah. he's going to the library and just kind of rifling through old whatever life magazines, and mm. he'd even, you know, read ad copy from newspapers and. I want to say even, you know, like grocery store advertising and things like that. But mostly he would just kind of, he would paste together. Some of them would get very, very personal with the letters. I don't know if he was even, you know, crafting the stuff today. I I didn't get that impression. I think he actually found some pretty great source material and used it as an excuse to play old records. Well, there's so many threads, you know, that kind of wind this stuff together. And even in these periods, I mean, these aren't things, I mean, we're not old enough to identify or have lived through any of this. Right. Um, and I and and in fact, I was even going to say, none of this was played in my home. I, I never heard my grandparents playing music. Uh, if they did, I have a feeling my grandfather. I, he had a a baby blue Cadillac um, that he'd smoke cigars in. He had an eight track player. He was probably playing, you know, Benny Goodman or somebody. Um, but I don't associate that with him at all. So my attachment to any of this is like completely made up in my head. It's not anything that is, oh, I remember when, or yes, my mother used to listen to this song. Or, oh, agreed. Yeah, my, my, in my home, we listened exclusively to classical music and, uh, and more specifically to Baroque music. At and, least you had something. I had nothing. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah my, my parents didn't listen to a thing. In fact, I, and I'll, I'll uh, wrap up with this, <laughs> with this story. I remember very clearly having a huge temper tantrum as a kid and completely destroying all of my parents' records. Whoa! All of their LPs. They were all in my room because I kind of brought them down from the attic. They weren't even really being listened to. And I remember a, a Monkey's record in there. And, you know, I don't even know if it was anything that would have been worth anything. I still have a couple left over, and I'll have to dig those out. Like Why, though? What, what, what tipped the scales? Why did you get upset? Oh, anything, I, I, anything would upset me as a kid. You know, oh, so you don't anything. remember what the oh, no, investigation sure was? It could have been I couldn't go out to play with somebody, or uh, you know I didn't get a certain present from my. I was a rough child. I was not easy, <laughs> you know. And and I think you know it's funny. Um, even though my parents never really listened to music, it's probably the one thing that has soothed me. 
you know, over my life. Fascinating. Right? So who's next? Let's see. got to be the Harlem Hotshots. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the Hoosier Hotshots. Oh, Hoosier, right. I don't it's the Harlem it. Globetrotters, That's the Hoosier Hotshots. <laughs> and, you know, I was so excited to say that. I'm going to tell you why. Because I hate those guys. <laughs> I put that in there as a trap. I knew you'd pick it out. <laughs> it worked. Absolutely. So back in the days when I first started collecting 78s, I heard the first Hoosier Hotshots record. The first one I found. I was like, this is hilarious. This is great. And then I got another one. And I was like, huh, that's kind of fun, too. It's similar, but it's kind of fun. And then I got another one. And I was like, wow, these are all the freaking same. They're- Every <laughs> song after song after song after song. There's no change in the way they did these tracks. Now, here's the thing about me. 
I like yeah. I, I I like Steve Reich. I like Philip Glass. I like John Adams. I yeah. like I like this repetitive kind yeah. of thing. I found there's nothing wrong with that. Fela Kuti, Mose Allison. These are people. Mm. Their every tune sounds the same. They really they don't vary yeah. that much, right? Yeah. But there's something really wonderful about digging into them again and again and again. And the Hoosier Hotshots were like that for me back in the day. Mm. So. After a while, I grew a little tired of it. It's the same with the the horn and the woo, the slide whistle. And it was kind of a, a mediocre Spike Jones. Spike Jones is more over the top, for sure. He had better writing. I don't know if he did all of his writing. but Yeah, I, I got a lot of opinions on Spike Jones. But the... Um, of course you do. But this tune in particular is just... I, I, I love this record. Like, first of all, I don't know the record. This is the first time I've ever heard it. Yeah. It's been that long since I've listened to Hoosier Hot Shots. Yeah, so what do we listen to? What but the song is called Them Hillbillies yeah. are Mountain Williams now. Hill Mountain Billies Williams. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Say that title again. What is it? Them Hillbillies are Mountain Williams now. It's, they're highfalutin. <laughs> now you're just making stuff up again. <laughs> what? Them hillbillies are Mountain Williams now. Yeah. Are you familiar with the the tune Big Bad Bill is Sweet William now? I know of it. I don't know that I could oh, name that a, tune. It's, it's, but a, it's I know great, the title. It's a great tune. First of all, that's what struck me about the title. Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. It's kind of like a, maybe a little reference to it. It's yeah. not really a parody of that tune, but a, a reference to that song. When I was a kid, well, first of all, I grew up in Kentucky, a small town called Glasgow, Kentucky. And it was kind of a typical middle-class little town and nothing particularly hillbilly about it. But as I, I left in middle school, I became really obsessed with all things hillbilly and uh, even when i was a kid i would come home from school and watch reruns of the beverly hillbillies yeah so everything they're talking about in this song this song like there was so much in this song that was fantastic wow the notion of the beverly hillbillies you know live living high on the hog discovering their black gold becoming rich and sticking out like a sore thumb and beverly hills and so on every and every single episode was exactly the same they were well that's the thing something goofy would happen because they're from the backwoods and and I loved it. So Hoosier Hotshots, Hoosiers being, you know, folks from Indiana. Yeah. Uh, again, without knowing this, I, I would assume they're kind of Indiana or even Chicago-based band. One of the interesting things, which you may or may not know about Chicago, is that the WLS Barn Dance was a radio mm-hmm. broadcast yeah. from Chicago. And I just, I quickly looked it up. It started in 1924. So it pre as a big country show, it predates the Grand Old Opry. Yeah. And during that whole migration where folks were coming from rural areas, be it, you know, Mississippi or Alabama or Tennessee, wherever, coming up to the Midwest for uh, factory jobs mm-hmm. and even steel work in Indiana and so on, they're, they're referencing all that in a way. Yeah. They're uh, not really they're, – they're referencing people making big money, not just getting good jobs, but they're referencing people, you know, being well-to-do and living in great houses and singing on the radio and hamming it up. All uh, – Oh, brother, where art thou? Right. Not that those guys made money in that film, but like here's a, a you know a ragtag group of fellas that suddenly just starts singing on the radio and everybody goes bananas for them. Yeah. Right. They're kind of referencing that kind of thing. At least they give them some kind of props. I mean, they were certainly very unique kazoos and whatever else horns and whatever else they're throwing in. They're having a good time. 
Lyrically is what struck me a lot about this. Yeah. yeah, the content on this particular record. I thought it was pretty great. It probably would have been amazing to see them live, right? And that's how most of these bands were getting known outside of the radio. Yeah, nightclub performances. Yeah, and wherever they were. I mean, I'm sure they had a lot of energy and, and probably running around on stage and playing these things and the sound effects. I will go back to WLS. I would love to find 78s, right, that reference that barn dance, period. And one of them... Somewhere, I'll have to find uh, find it. Do you have any yourself? Do you know from... You mean bands that performed on the bar dance or... Oh, yeah. Well, that or just like as fe- on the label, it will say as featured on WLS Barn Dance. Oh, not to my knowledge, but maybe. Yeah. One I think I bought from you, actually. Uh, no. The one I bought from you, I think a sticker or something like property of WLS or something like that. But there's another one that goes back to the acoustic time. And at the very beginning, it's... Whoever it is, and there's a little announcement at the beginning. WLS Chicago, the Sears Robot Station, presenting Ford and Glenn, our lullaby boys. In, I'll see you in my dreams. Here we go. Oh, that's great. And then they dive into the song. And I am amazed that I'm not finding more of those around the Chicago area. In fact, I see very little, but I find really early acoustic stuff, you know, different places, shops, estate sales, thrift stores, whatever. But it's like the stuff from here doesn't exist here. I don't know if it's further south. I've got to go down south a little further. But that show was huge. Oh, yeah. And it was broadcasting, I think, into most of the Midwest, if I'm not mistaken. Last summer, I went to a friend's cabin in Wisconsin. They invited our family up for the weekend. We were wanting to kill some time, and the guy was like, yeah, I went to this estate sale like a week or two ago and picked up all these old-fashioned jigsaw puzzles from the 30s and the 40s. And at that point in time, they didn't put the picture on the box. It was just a little shoebox or even a small shoebox-sized thing that maybe they would stamp something like, you know, Oriental Flowers. Or you had a sense of what the puzzle might be, yeah. you know, or an autumn evening or something like that. And this one box did not have anything stamped on it, I don't think. And I opened it up. And it was obviously black and white photos that were all chopped up. And I could see little faces, little part of faces, little cowboy hats, little stuff. And I was like, this looks like it's going to be some, you know, essentially what would be like a, a, a promotional photograph yeah. for a group of people. I'm like, these are movie stars or something. Yeah. So I started working on it. It was the most, it was the biggest pain in the butt I've ever had for a jigsaw puzzle. And I kind of like them because none of the pieces were interlocking. They were just kind of oddly curved shapes mm-hmm. that sat near each other. Yeah. So if you bump the table at all, stuff would just shake apart. It right. was really frustrating. <laughs> I put the whole thing together with a buddy. Finally, it's, it's uh, WLS Barn Dance. Yeah. And they had this great shot of everybody, all the comedians, all the trio of girl singers, all the, they had their own kind of Hoosier hotshots, cornball band, um, the the regular singers and so on were all pictured in this thing with this giant donkey that they obviously ripped off for Hee Haw years later. Oh, sure. And then around the outer edge were some like bigger headshots of the stars. And the only one that I, re- I think there were, there were two maybe I recognized, but the one that really stuck out was Georgie Goble. Yeah. And George Goebel used to, you know, late 60s, early 70s was on a lot of, uh, uh, just a, he was a comedian that was on television a la Hollywood Squares. Squares. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so it was just, it was really funny to see, yeah. you know, Georgie. Okay, so where where was I last night? Do you know where I was last night? No idea. I was at the Barn Dance Apocalypse last night. Wow. I have a, th- <laughs> I have a third cousin. 
And my third cousin was actually, um, well, she was a go-go dancer professionally for a while and gave dance lessons. And I wanted to learn how to dance. I really cannot dance to save my life. And my wife could tell you that as well. You want to do it this weekend? No, I can't come this weekend because I'm supposed to do another thing. In fact, I have these tickets to this event, the annual Barn Dance Apocalypse. <laughs> and I said, what? The what? Like, what are you talking about? And she sent me a link. And I said, oh, my gosh, I have to go and do this. So what is the Barn Dance Apocalypse? Well, it's at Talia Hall every year. And it is with the Golden Horse Ranch Band and what they do is they teach the entire room how to square dance, how to do contra lines, two-step, polka, waltz, all of it. And they teach you everything. They teach you every move. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it's beautiful. And everybody gets kind of dressed up, you know. And it's like all really kind of all walks of life. I mean, there's definitely a lot of hipster folks and some folks that I kind of had to back away from, like, wow. Like serious dancers, those guys? Serious dancers and serious dressers. Like, this is stuff that they probably do every weekend or whatever. Right. I still feel welcome there. You know, I can come in, we can do these line dances, and it is amazing. And probably the closest thing that any of us can come to, I would guess, to being able to have that kind of experience, minus the comedians and the different acts. And That's what I was going to say. So the, it wasn't a variety show. The, no variety. The, yeah. the point was a great band and yeah. great dancing. Yeah, and the band's fantastic. I mean, they even covered uh, Guns N' Roses at one point, which I can play for you later. <laughs> But it is a lot of fun. And that's the kind of stuff I live for. Like, if I can dance, if I can listen to music, because I'm always getting up and moving my feet. If it's a great 78, you know, I'll put it on. Who's your hot shots? Just don't do it for me. Wow. So much so that I keep pulling my cord out of my headphones. I'm so upset by them. The who's your hot shots certainly inspired a great conversation. Though. Absolutely. All right, do we have time for maybe one or two? What do you think? Uh, no, we got time for another, for sure. song makes me want to just whisper like that's that kind of music that's just that that blanket that i was talking about a little bit earlier that was the georgians or maybe just georgians you've got to see mama every night and that's on record number three eight five seven i i love these old columbia records um and columbia victor right those were the two big guns right yeah. the right and the left or the left and the right however you want to look at it those were the two big labels at the time. And Columbia, these blue Columbias, I find are like, it's, it may say dance music and it's really kind of schmaltzy stuff, which is fine. You could listen to it with your grandparents. And then you find something like that. That was really, really good. When we did a little yeah. sound check to check the levels and I saw the record was cracked, I was like, oh, yeah. well, maybe we can fix something. But, And 
I even joked and said, well, this might be the last time this record's played. It's got a circular crack that looks like if it's held the wrong way, that yeah. whole like six inch or three inch chunk's just going to fall right out. Yeah. So I was so glad we got to listen to that record. <laughs> Seriously, that might be the last time that record is listened to. It makes me a little sad. Hopefully yeah. that's not what's going to happen. But uh, it was it far exceeded my expectations. That piano player was like hot. I almost felt like, I mean, they probably had to push him away from the big horn in the wall because uh, he had a lot of energy, right? There was a lot going on, and then he had a little solo there for a while. Then there was that weirdness that happened at the end of the song. I sort of want to, I may cut it back in, but it's like, I can't describe it. It was like sort of a weird, like animal like kind of sound. Did you hear? Maybe that was the moaning of. Of mama, I'm not sure, right? <laughs> Seriously, it was a little sexual. Like she something. needed to be seen. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember I, no, that I didn't, part? I didn't notice that that moment. That. What the heck is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever heard that in a song before. I mean, not, I've heard, like, some bands... Shoot, who comes to mind? Um, I'm really bad at this game. One day, <laughs> I will get better at it. Um, the uh, Memphis 5, 6, something, they have that, like, the song will end, and they'll go, da-da-da-da-da, or something at the end. Right. But that was something... That's something else that entirely. It was, like, four false endings, right. basically. That, or three and then, false and one real. But or... they're playing false notes. It's almost like they're just, like, trying to... Oh, it's like that sound Jerry Lewis makes in those movies. <laughs> it is. It, it, so, I don't know. Very exciting. I was going to ask real quick. Maybe you looked up what I looked up. Or do you have a guess of when that record came out, approximately? No, I have no idea. I actually looked... I completely misread what it was and, and saw a picture of a great-looking dude that had nothing to do with this band, <laughs> but he was an awesome photo. You're, you're just looking at good-looking dudes while you're listening to music. Exactly. That's fine. That's all right. We all get inspired if in I different ways. If I had a guess... Yeah, just generally. 30. Down. I'm down. pointing down. You can't see that on the microphone, I guess. Uh, 26. Keep going down. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty hot. Yeah. 1923. Uh, according to 78discography.com, uh, they have a huge database, and uh, they say February... 26, 1923 is when that was recorded for Columbia. Wow. Do they actually share more info? This is one I would be curious. Does it have any more info on it? Basically the same stuff. The rest on of it is what's on, on the label. It was it was exciting. I mean, actually, this kind of stuff is... Um, I mean, here, let's put it this way. We mentioned in the other episode the original Dixieland jazz band. That record came out in 1917 when that first kind of jazz record came out, when then sort of like all these instruments are kind of, play I say playing at one time, but it almost sounds like they're playing a couple of different songs at once. Well, I was trying to find more on the Georgians just with a quick look, and yeah. I, I, I you know, wasn't able to think of personality or everything. But I, I want to find all of these records now, because I know half of the tunes, mm. and I'm sure they were just popular tunes at the time. Yeah. But Wish I Could Shimmy Like My Sister Kate, yeah. a great song. Barney Google with Goo Goo Googly Eyes, yeah. great song. But, you know, all of these songs were because people were buying sheet music. They're like, okay, well, the sheet music's selling, so let's just put this on a record. Yeah. And that's how the songs were being made, actually, a lot of them, because of sheet music sales. 
That's another thing, too. It's possible the reason you didn't find anybody is that these guys recorded for Victor and needed to make some more money and change the band name and then recorded for Columbia. Right, yeah. So who knows? Not the priciest records in the world, collector-wise, but it, does it matter? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I feel like the car talk guy. So we've wasted another hour listening to us talk about <laughs> cars and whatever not. Thanks for having me over. Absolutely. I appreciate this. So we've made it through a, a nice assortment of records that I think led us to some lovely conversation. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. I love doing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Until next time. Lived a cat named Big Bad Bill. I wanted to tell you how the cat was rough and tough. He could shut his stuff. Had the whole town scared to death when he walked by. They all held their breath. He's a fighting man, sure enough. Self wife, now he leads a different life. Big bad Bill don't fight anymore. No, he don't. He's doing the dishes, mopping up that floor. Yes, he is. Well, he used to go out drinking, looking for a fight. Now I gotta see that sweet woman every night. Big bad Bill is sweet. Thanks for listening to Stories from the Stylus. I'm Tim Peterson. And I'm Mark Harley Wilson. Our show is edited by the magnificent Mr. Mark Harley Wilson. And produced by the magnificent Tim Peterson and myself. We want to give a special thanks to our friends, family, and you, the listeners, for tuning in, and also to Steve Rasheed for some technical assistance. And if you'd like to hear more of our episodes, follow up with us, leave us a comment. Please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or find us on our website, storiesfromthestylus.com. Enjoy what you've heard on this episode. We encourage you to go out and dig for the tunes yourself. A lot of our records were from very small shops as well as independent record stores. Show them your love and your support. Take some chances and it will pay off. Next time on Stories from the Stylus. I feel like they had Rosemary Clooney-like behind a gun to do all these holiday tunes like sing Easter songs sing Irish songs sing holiday songs <laughs> she was like oh god sing Italian songs okay okay next time on stories from the stylus next time on stories from the stylus next time on stories from the stylus